Welcome back to Pediatric Chat. We are so grateful to have with us Katie Hofsess. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And of course, my co-host Paul Rosen is here as well. Hi, Paul. Hello, Jay. So we do have today our seasoned mommy panel who are going to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Laura, and I have a two-year-old daughter. Hi, my name is Tiffany, and I'm a mom of three. I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old. I'm Rachel, and I have a 9-month-old daughter. So Katie is a psychologist, pediatric psychologist. At Nemours, we embed them often in our pediatric practices because we know it's so incredibly important to have psychology as part of medicine. They are part of our medical team. And so, gosh, it's so nice as a pediatrician to have a psychologist next door to pull in for all the amazing questions that our moms have and our kids have. And so uh, I know this is going to be a quick hour. So Tiffany, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So I'm a busy mom of three. And with my kids, and I've, I've talked amongst my mommy circle, when our kids get in times where they're not quite sure where they fit with other kids and they're frustrated and you know, they struggle. What is the best way? Because we can't always jump in and mm. rescue everything for them. Mm-hmm. And we need to give them the coping skills. And don't skills. want to and not too good, right? Not good right. too. Yeah. You can't yeah. because at some point we have to, to let them that. fly. Mm-hmm. So what is the best way to support them in that time of struggle? And it's even hard as a parent to watch your kids struggle, but you know that it's just a part of the process. Yeah. Um, my initial question, do you feel like, I don't know if it's your child or the child in question, like has social skills to be able to make friends, like they can go up to other children and make eye contact and introduce themselves and those kind of things? I don't think it's so much that. It's more of finding that core group of friends that they're just yeah. themselves and comfortable and know they fit and they just feel they can be themselves. Mm -hmm. I think what's good to encourage is to support your child in finding their own interests. I think sometimes where especially kids have trouble fitting in is if they do have these smaller interests, let's say it's outside athletics or outside of Girl Scouts, they need to kind of find their niche, like you're saying. And so I think it's great to, especially at young ages, encourage trying different things and seeing what you like. And it's okay not to like everything. It's okay not to like what your older brother liked, what your older sister liked, where you're different and you're going to have things that are of interest to you that maybe aren't of interest to your dad and I or your mom and I or whomever it may be. So I think really encouraging your child's interests Sometimes ways to do that, too, can be starting small and having play dates at your house or inviting children over. I say that because I think your child might feel more comfortable there versus going to a new setting or going somewhere that might seem overwhelming and they don't know what to do or don't know if they like what it is that other kids are going to be doing, where kind of if they're at their house, they're on their turf and it's more comfortable for them. And then as a parent, you can also oversee that a bit more and might be able to step in and say, well, hey, let's let Sam pick a game that he wants to play or show him how you like to do this and kind of encourage those interests and things like that. Um, But it's great to allow them to explore their own interests and find out what is important to them and what uh, kind of makes them unique. And then I think some friends will help come along that way. Um, But I certainly hear what you're saying. I think we want all kids not only to be healthy and happy, but to have friends and to have those people that they can go to when they don't come to mom and dad and feel supported and appreciated and things like that. So I think it's great that you're thinking about ways that that can happen. And it might be a little bit of trial and error. I think sometimes it feels especially frustrating when that trial goes on longer or there's more errors and it feels like successes. But um, I think supporting their interests and finding what's most relevant and important to them is a really great way to go about it. Perfect. 
Thank you. Yeah, it feels hard as a parent, especially when you see other kids maybe having friends or best friends that they've known for forever and your child is still getting there, but they'll get there. I know. I mean, I've had a best friend for 36 years, so yeah. it's just something, and that's not always typical. Right. But it's also, I think, it's something to I'd want love that for, my, for your kids. I would yeah. love that for my children mm-hmm. because I know what that's like. Yep. And some other people don't find that person until they're in college or even afterwards. And so great that they're having different friend groups. And it might be the case, too, of you have this friend that you play basketball with or you have this friend that you go to Boy Scouts with. And that's okay. And sometimes they intersect and it's all that person in one. But sometimes it's not. And so great to pursue different interests and different people that your child can share that with. At what age do you start seeing them? Um, as I said, my daughter's two. She started a preschool. She has one buddy, her best friend, yeah. who we were pregnant at the same time. And it's funny, they really are little friends. When do you see that they actually have real friends, not kind of parent-doctored, you know, I'm friends with the parents, so right, we kind so of like push them together. Right, so you're like in this I think when they start school can be a common time for that, because I think sometimes at school or during different play groups, you see them explore different things and, and play with different things that way. So probably right around your daughter's age and even coming sooner here, right when they're three or four. So I there think was the parallel that. play that they said that they yep. did probably around your daughter's age, like you kind of have play groups, but yeah. like, let's be real, you like know? Yeah, yeah, they're just, <laughs> exactly, right. Just an for the and it's yeah. neat to yeah. see, though, when, I, as I said, with my friend with them, her son is three months older than my daughter. And, you know, now they're at the park and they call, they go to the same sitter together and mm. they call each other, they you know, FaceTime oh, and they hold great. hands. So that's it's sweet. really nice because we try to say, we really don't push the friendship. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, that's what I was wondering when it really does evolve into, you know, and, and, and similarly to what Tiffany said, you're at the playground. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she'll look at a kid and I like, you know, silently, I was like, Elizabeth, say hi. She yeah. says, hi, kid. And I'm like, you know, oh, you, but you kind of let. We're almost you, there. Exactly. <laughs> so that, would you say, is about typical and oh, then around yeah. three years old, really they typical. start to. Yeah. And I think okay. sometimes even younger, especially recognizing, first recognizing people starts with mom and dad. And then they okay. broaden that as they see folks more regularly to aunts and uncles and grandparents or even other friends that they might see more often that that starts to be the case of what's Jackson doing today? And when do I go to his house to play? Okay. Things like that. So that's great. That's great signs of social development. Would you say as a psychologist, and we have all children all that the you know different ages which is really neat when you for for a toddler what what are you looking for what is the most important milestone from a psychologist standpoint not necessarily a you know um uh, walking, talking, but from a social yeah. aspect, what is important to you? That's a great question. I think especially for young kids, you think about starting to engage in that reciprocal play like okay. you're talking about. For young kids, it is parallel, but you do want to see them shift away from that, right? Okay. So having more of the interactions. And sometimes those interactions don't always look so great where it's don't take his this thing, whatever yeah, it is, okay, and yeah. you're kind of mortified. But they are interacting in some way. They're testing boundaries and figuring out what that looks like with other kids. So I think those signs of interaction action. Um, Certainly they need some finessing and some developing as folks get older, but other things too, like making eye contact, sharing, playing cooperatively and interactively, those are great signs as kids get older. So with the younger kids especially, and again, my daughter's only nine months old, so understanding timeout is beyond her. You know, she's teething and she bites me and I yell at her and she smiles and laughs. So, you know, she's not at that point yet, but when, you know, when a kid does 
do something that that needs um, some some time out. What would be a good age to start that? Mm-hmm. A lot of folks talk about time out or the importance of knowing cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't see that that happens until they're right around two. I think okay. that's when we kind of think of traditional time out. Mm-hmm. Um, but even for kids that are younger, so sometimes from 12 months to 24 months, mm-hmm. time out can look like quiet time mm-hmm. or taking them away from a situation okay. where they haven't acted inappropriately. Um, but a lot of times with time out in our typical sense or in the way that it's thought of, we want kids to know expectations beforehand or to have clear rules and understanding. So when your daughter gets older, you know, let's talk three years from now and she's still biting, that's yeah. going to be a timeout, right? Or, yeah. <laughs> that's a different look to it. Yeah. Um, but it would be, you know, we don't bite, we don't hit. If that happens, we'll have a quick timeout um, or whatever it may be. But I think a big thing with timeout too is the complement of time in, where we often don't talk about that. Yeah, and that it's so important to be spending um, that positive interaction time. So timeout mm-hmm. is an effective where we think about timeout and we're taking them away from our attention, from fun things if it's not really removing them from anything. Mm So meaning if we don't have that complement, and not even a parallel complement, but we want there to be a contrast between when they're in timeout, so then they're taken away from their siblings, from their parents, from toys, whatever it may be, versus that time in where they're interacting in a positive manner with folks around them. So it mm-hmm. looks real different, and there is that contrast there is a real important to timeout that we often don't talk about enough. Okay. And then how long should kids be in that reflective time? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think Super Danny kind of did us us. Um, uh, <laughs> a number on it where we don't have a hard and fast. I think a lot of folks think there's a minute for how old you are, but yeah. we don't have any research that says, gosh, if your three-year-old goes in timeout for two minutes, then it's not going to be as effective as if they okay. were in it for the whole three minutes that's based on their age. Um, but I think the big parts are, and sometimes that needs to be shaped, meaning we start with small amounts. So we start with sometimes 90 seconds and we'll build up to longer. Mm-hmm. Um, the big parts of timeout is, again, that they're removed from things that are, um, they're they're positive that they're interacting with it so that there's a big difference between a consequence for their behavior and what they're doing typically. So there's not a hard and fast. I think over five minutes, it doesn't get to be effective because kids wonder, what am I doing here? How long is this going to last for? Mm-hmm. I don't remember why I got here in the first place. Five minutes place. feels like five hours. Feels like forever, right. <laughs> yeah. And for parents, kind of we're in a timeout too, where, yeah, yeah. yeah which is kind more. of hard, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if our kid is in timeout, then we're kind of watching them to make sure they're staying removed from the situation where they might be coloring or playing with toys. Um, so we're having to kind of watch that too. So if you can do that more effectively in two minutes for a four-year-old versus those four minutes, I think that effective time is important. Okay. But also good to be thinking about, you don't want timeout to end. One, as parents, we want to determine when that timeout ends. So we'll determine when you go to timeout and also when timeout ends. So we have control of that consequence as opposed to children deciding, well, I'm good now. It's like, well, what happened here? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but also the thought that they're calm before getting out of timeout. So if a child was yelling and screaming before, um, you can have a calm criteria of 10 seconds or so, just where you're relaxed, you're calm, you're ready to get out of that setting. Because it should be time out and a chance to calm down and cope with feelings or um, misbehavior that happened. Okay. You, you just mentioned something about um, the child sort of dictating the, I may be completely screwing up my daughter as a high likelihood of that. But what we do is um, during her timeout, so at two and a half, and we've been doing this since she's about, um, about 18 months mm-hmm. um, with the timeout, and it's a step. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and for what we've kind of adapted it as how she's getting older. Yep. Um, and great. we make her sit there when she's, you know, whether it's usually for something like she'll hit us yep. or she throws something. So Automatic something I'm more That's completely. Great. And she yep. knows sometimes she walks right over to the step. Wow. And now she'll so say, she's learned. Right, I'm not so supposed now, to do this. Right. Yep. She'll know or now she picks her hand up. And she looks at us and then puts it down. So she's getting it, but she sits on the step and we are making her to say, I'm sorry, and deliberately look into my eyes, yep. say you're sorry, because mm-hmm. she has a tendency to, you know, oh, sorry, look at, you know, the birds or whatever. And so she doesn't looks, feel meaningful, doesn't feel no. like she's aware of what happened. No. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she understands the correlation. And, you know, even on vacation, we're in Disney World, she saw a step in the resort and she said, oh, it's a step. And I said, yes, it is. A ste- <laughs> you know, I was like, especially here in Disney World, I'm yeah, going yeah, to have yeah. to know where that yeah. is at all times. Good for you. So, um, but now we're finding, so when she calms down, she gets up and she comes over and says, I sorry, mommy, Mm -hmm. no hit, you know, and and she, so she does make the correlation, but now we're finding that she'll say, I'm sorry, unprovoked. So if she, so let's say she has, um, a bowl of cereal that drives my husband nuts. And if she, you know, apps like drops it accidentally, she apologizes and I sorry, mommy. And then I feel awful. I'm like, no, you just you tripped or you know whatever. An accident. Didn't mean it to. It was complete yeah. accident. Yeah. So how do you, how do you kind of um, kibosh that and and have or maybe she's too young because I always say she'll say I'm sorry, daddy. And you know I make sure to say to Dan, you know, say something that you know that she doesn't need to say she's sorry because you feel yeah. bad. It's we all spill something or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you do that for for a. a preschooler, toddler, how do you make them know when to apologize and when it's an accident? Or am I asking too much? No, I think it's good thought. So I think it's great to be apologizing for things like throwing and aggressive behavior. Because even sometimes we don't mean to do that, but I just... But we do it with our husband, right. not saying I throw things at him, but you know, if I'm out of, you know, yeah. like step, I'll say, yes. hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you yes. know, act like that. Yes, apologize Accountability, for accountability. Yeah, very right. important things to be teaching children. So I think it's great that you're talking about the difference between this is an accident versus this is a behavior that happened that, um, and again, things happen. It might be, you know, um, spilling cereal is a great example. So you might add something to like, oops, that was an accident. I'm sorry. It's okay to be sorry about that. It doesn't mean maybe that it has the same remorse associated with it if okay. she threw something at you or hit something. Um, so it's okay that she's not, it's just not a self-esteem thing. That, okay. So it doesn't sound like it. It does sound like she's being very sweet and very, yeah. you know, yeah. is apologetic, which is great. Then on the other hand, where it's, oh, spilling cereal again, what do and you do? And just simply right. say, it's okay. We all feel, to so just kind of validate it. happen. Okay. Yep. Let's go get a paper towel. Let's go clean it up. Yep. No problem. Mm-hmm. So my kids are a little bit older and a lot of my friends, their kids are around my kids' age or even older, what about when you're graduating out of timeouts yeah. and you're in a whole, n- you're, I call it the gray zone. Oh, yeah. yeah. It feels messy. and Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what do you do with that? Yeah, so beyond, gosh, seven or eight, we see that timeout isn't as effective, nope. which is right in the camp that you're in. Because sometimes I think, too, for adults, like, gosh, we would love a timeout. And I would love, would love it. A little I bit would of a love break. one a daily. Per right. age, hello. Yeah. <laughs> and again, though, it's like, I'm just not ready to leave yet. Like, I just need a little yeah. more time. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I think consequences certainly look differently for school-age children and as they get older. So that's certainly a great sense to be having. Something that I tend to do with folks that get older is what's called a job card. 
So this is where, as I say, <laughs> folks love it. Parents love it. Um, so what it is, you have the rules for your house, right? And so it might be the same things as you have for time out. Listen to mom and dad. Um, as you get older, come home by curfew. Whatever your mm-hmm. rules are, you've got a couple rules. And so then as folks break a rule, they would get a job card. And what that is, you come up with 20, 25 chores around your house that this child can do. And as your kids get older, you might say, this is a system for everybody. So even as your five-year-old, if you're five-year-old, it'll look five-year-old, right? It'll look a little bit trickier. But for your 10 and your eight-year-old, it can look very similar. So you come up with a bunch of chores, things that don't take a long time to do. So it's things that can be done anywhere from 15, 20 minutes. It's not particularly difficult, um, but it's just an additional chore on top of what they have to do usually on a daily basis. So it might be something like, you know, you, um, I saw you hit your sister with that, whatever it is. So now you have a job card. When kids have a job card, then they don't have electronics. They can't go to friends. They don't have privileges that are important to them. So it might be TV is turned off, um, other privileges that they typically have access to until they complete that job card. So then they also have the option of they could do it right away and be done with it. Or they could say, you know what, forget you, mom. I just don't want to do it right now. I'm going to wait four days to do with it. And it's okay. Then you've kind of grounded yourself where, again, can't go, can't spend time with friends, can't watch TV, can't have electronics until this job card is done to whatever specification we have on it. So you might write on the front, rake the leaves. And on the back, you put what that means is you do the front, you do the back, you put it in bags, you put it out front. That kind of thing. So it is kind of a different way to look at restitution for their behavior. Really, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's great. really great. Like so, <laughs> that's great. and it's a help to the house too, right? Where so yes. some additional chores get done. Yes. Um, it helps you out, but it also has a clear consequence for their behavior. Um, and kids are in charge of how long that consequence lasts. So again, you might have one that's, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. Let me just take care of this right now. And then they're not on punishment for that long. Or you could have your one that kind of sticks their feet in and says, let's really see if I'm not going to be able to go to my friends this weekend. And that's where important for follow through and making sure that um, those consequences do happen or that those privileges are restricted until that chore is done. But um, but it's great. And then you're not nagging your kid. You're not saying, remember, you have that job card. Remember, you have that job card. It's real clear, easy to follow and hopefully clear for everybody. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Timeout gets hard after a while. Or again, it just looks different as kids get older, but still important to have clear rules and expectation, expectations and consequences, both good and bad, if kids don't follow through or when they do. Katie, I wanted to ask you about um, a bunch of patients I'm seeing in my office. So the generic description would be girls uh, between the age of 8 and 14. Uh, many of them are straight-A students or high-performing athletes. They're coming in with um, body pain, headaches, mm. uh, and sort of stress. And, um, you know, when you when you talk to them and their family, the story is a lot of perfectionism and, you know, getting upset if they don't get an A, worrying about other kids' problems, yep. taking on... Um, you know, worrying about the family finances kind of advanced beyond their years. Yeah. So, you know, always looking for guidance in terms of um, how to help these young kids who seem to be, str- you know, having a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, uh, not necessarily pressure the parents are putting on them, but pressure they put on themselves mm-hmm. to perform and succeed. Yeah, I see that a lot too. I think it looks a lot like headaches and belly pain and transitions into not wanting to go to school. And much for the reasons that you mentioned, maybe where in elementary school, I was a great student and now middle school has gotten harder. And um, so it's looking like those somatic symptoms for anxiety or depressive concerns, more of those internalizing disorders. I think especially at a young age, it's important for parents and even as you're doing with your 18 month old to model non-perfect behavior. Um, Our kids aren't perfect. We're not perfect. 
And so it was especially important for them to see that, that we do make act, we make accidents and we spill things and we all go on living and we're all just fine, right? For the most part. Um, <laughs> as fine as we all can be. Um, so I think that's especially important for parents to be teaching kids. Um, as I see too that perfectionism, I think sometimes that carries with it a lot of activities where the feeling is I have to be good at everything that I do. Um, so it could be important to be thinking about how do we triage the number of activities that you do, where if it's really important for you to be on the travel lacrosse team, then that might mean we have to give up field hockey in the fall, or we're not taking this AP class because it does take a lot of time, but honors is also a great class for you to be taking. So I think early lessons in prioritizing and triaging those concerns, I think, can help in reducing stress and managing the different things that folks have to do, because it is important for kids also to have time for relaxing and not being held accountable at a practice or um, homework and things like that. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, in my own family, I have kids who play hockey and they have, you know, six practices a week or whatever. Oh, Intense, and, yeah. um, and a lot of my patients, you know, the, th- the thing I'm, I'm seeing is a lot of, I think it sounds like overscheduling. Mm-hmm. And, and um, what do you think is the right balance between, um, you know, the kids are into sports, band, um, AP classes, it just goes on and on and on. Um, so what's what's the right <clears throat> amount where kids are stimulated and active, but it's not too much over that tipping point where it's just the schedule's out of hand? Yeah, I think it's going to vary for every kid, where I think some of those that have a lower um, stress hus- stress threshold, um, I think it is they're going to school, you know, going to school, taking classes, and maybe they have one extracurricular activity outside of school because you know that they need that downtime. And if they don't get eight hours of sleep, they look awful um, versus other kids where they can manage two or three activities and it helps them to be scheduled more because if they're not scheduled then that's when we see that they're not as focused or they're not finishing the things that they need to so I think it's a little bit of that but I think especially uh, in terms of a guideline or a recommendation it can be maybe no more than two activities during the school year so that might mean Girl Scouts in a sport or um, if you're taking an AP class that might mean we take away one of those activities because it is more time intensive it, your demands are just going to be stretched differently. Yeah, hard. Important to have downtime, too, as kids are wanting to do a lot of things and thinking about college when they're in middle school and things like that. So, yeah. I, I wanted to know, you know, I've, I've had this happen before, but if in the event that there's an illness that strikes a family, and it's a little tough when you have kids that are of all different ages, mm-hmm. and you want to be honest with them, but at the same time not disclose all of the details because in the fear of scaring them. Yep. What is the best way to share with your children when an illness strikes a parent or a loved one mm-hmm. or even a sibling? Mm-hmm. What is the best way to talk with them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think the notion of how do I start that conversation is a really good one because it does fall on parents of um, not waiting for your child to come to you with questions, but more so we need to talk to you about what's happening with grandma um, or your aunt or uncle or things that way. Well, it's also they're picking up on the stress. Yep. The things are changing. Your demands Mm -hmm. have changed. Maybe you're not home as much. Maybe um, an aunt is picking them up from soccer when dad used to do that. You're right. Their routine has just been different. I think where it can be helpful, so much like your sense of how do I be honest in a developmentally appropriate manner while also sharing simple and accurate information, I think is a great guideline to go by. Um, So I think when possible, it's helpful to name the condition that might be going on. 
And so sometimes that might be, um, we're really sad that grandma is sick and in the hospital because she has diabetes and she gets sick from time to time and needs to go to the hospital. As much as you feel comfortable with, I think that information can be really helpful. For young kids, you're going to be talking maybe about what the hospital is and what's expected from that. Does that mean they're going to be there for a month? Does that mean they're going to be there for a week? And sometimes you don't know that information. And I think that's okay also to be saying, we're not really sure, but she's working with a lot of doctors who want to make sure that she's getting the care and the treatment that she needs is a really important part. For all kids, too, I would say it's important to talk about what changes might occur and how you all might handle that, not only for the person that might be sick, but also for your family. So, for example, um, grandma's not going to have as much energy as she usually does or is going to be going to the doctor more often from time to time so that her IVs can get checked. If there's any kind of equipment that your kids should know about or that they're going to see, I think that's helpful to share. Um, But they're also going to want to know how that affects them. So is that disease contagious? Could they get diabetes? because they've hugged grandma or because they've been to her house, whatever that may mean. But also who's going to be picking them up from soccer and how their routines will be different or how um, it might impact their life could be good to share with them as well. What if it happens to be something like cancer? Yeah. With any disease, it can be helpful to talk to your children about optimism. But if that's not possible, Mm -hmm. it could be important to prepare for talking with them about death and what might happen. Um, So if it is the case that this is a disease that has affected your grandma for a really long time and she's gotten sick, sometimes it's helpful to talk about her body isn't working the same way that it used to. And so she's trying everything she can do and fighting really hard. And we're real hopeful that she's going to get better if that is the case. Mm -hmm. Um, if not, then could be helpful to be having that discussion about death and what might happen and that things will look more intensive for them. Well, in terms of that, both of my kids last year, my oldest two children, um, unfortunately, both watched one of their classmates lose a parent. Oh, wow. One was unfortunately due to cancer and the other was due to a very unexpected occurrence. And my kids had a lot of questions and you want to answer them honestly but you know at such a young age they've they've now been introduced to death loss and death and lo- and, yes mm-hmm. and it's a, such a delicate subject matter and you don't want to scare them but unfortunately is part of life yep so what is the best way to approach that yeah i think death is one of maybe the hardest conversations to have mm-hmm. with our kids because not only for all the reasons that you mentioned but also makes us think of your children's friend who lost a parent and how devastating that would be if it were to be your family or yeah. our family. Yeah, and, I, I try um, it like just that. Just kind of brings up your own emotions and feelings. Um, I think it's great to empathize with them and say, gosh, we're just so, we're so sad and talk to them about feelings. I think death is one too that kids process in pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds very developmentally appropriate and to be expected that they're coming to you at different times with questions as they come up. Because it's hard for all of us to put our minds around at once. And even as you're saying there was really different circumstances, um, it's still the same end that our friends lost their parents. And um, it's hard for us to imagine and we're very sad for them. And this is what that means. I think it's great that they're coming to you with those kind of questions. Some things that can be helpful for children is to think about maybe how they can be involved for their friends. Um, So for young ones, that might mean writing pictures or drawing pictures, making pictures, things like that. For older kids, it might be, we'll drive you to soccer practice or we'll make sure that they're involved so that they're still a part of activities and things like that. So not only that they're supporting their friend, but maybe helping to come up with memories to help remember their parent that they lost. 
foster um, being involved in things that way. I think kids want to be doing something, much like adults. It's kind of natural for us to want to make food or um, yeah. go over and watch kids. And I think kids want to be a part of that process, too, in terms of helping their friends. Yeah, with both of them, I just encourage them to, to spend a little bit more time with their classmate yep. and just be more understanding and that even if they have some off moments, they're going through a lot. And how would you feel? I try to... That's great because their Put friend, it in those terms. their friend might be sad some days, and they might not want you to be around. But that doesn't mean they don't want you to be their friend. They're just sad about other things, and um, I think that's great to be sharing with them that they want you around and you can support them. But that looks different depending on the day, and it isn't the same reaction day to day. Um, and your kids might act differently too. I don't know if you noticed that they were maybe more clingy to you or seemed to be acting differently themselves. But that's completely normal too for yeah. different behaviors and different feelings to. Be coming about when changes or differences. I just noticed happen. they had more questions. Yeah, and they're a little bit more inquisitive. Yep, which was good. It mm-hmm. was an opportunity, but then you want to make sure that you're explaining it right. Yeah, and it feels like right. Like if I do it wrong, then I'm going to uh, scar them. Yes. <laughs> you know, we, I found yeah. in high school. Um, unfortunately, uh, we lost a dear friend at the. Um, I went to an all girls school, and at the boys school, we lost a dear friend to cancer. And I was a sophomore, mm-hmm. and that rocked our world. Yep. Like all of, I swam with him since he was little. Our parents, our friends. It was. Uh, that funeral I can't still can't even talk about so mm-hmm. but what we had at school which is great because several of us girls knew him and the school counselor was aware about um, some of us so there will be tough times where and it would hit you at random times where you know in a theology class or whatever and we had an open door policy with the guidance counselor that you know instead of waiting till we get home and obviously like my parent as well you know I, my parents as well as other girls parents we did see a psychologist yeah. just to make sure we processed that because um, yep. it was that was terrible um, so what we did was he had an open door policy with the guidance counselor so if let's say at one o'clock I'm in a class and a feeling or emotion came over to me I was able to go and talk about it then instead of hold it and then you know as with everything with time it passed so that's something you know maybe at the school if they're open to you know if your daughter has a question you know or something comes up in the middle of the day that she can go Mm -hmm. uh, you know and same with the other kids that was invaluable looking back when you were talking about that that was nice and then I could talk to my parents at home and say oh I saw you know sister so-and-so about Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was I was thinking about Tim and his I think family. sometimes when we think that's a great point, and um, I think sometimes we think when somebody is lost or gone, the feeling is like we can't talk about them anymore. Yeah. We can't because they're not here and shouldn't be talking about them. But but that's really hard, and kids have a lot of feelings around it, and and it's an ongoing conversation. And if especially it was, let's say it was this time last year, um, can think as a parent that that might be coming up for your child's friend, and so beginning of the year might be difficult. And what can we do to remember them in a positive way, whether that be um, it sounds like there was some sort of scholarship driver activity to celebrate that person's life. And so that's great to be mindful of and thinking about. I think for young kids, too, it's especially hard because we don't want to be saying things like um, grandma went to sleep because it's a bit misleading because, well, gosh, I go to sleep. Am I going to die tomorrow? Like, yeah. what's going to happen here? Um, and so then that's where I think sometimes some of the technical language of grandma's body was working differently or it started to not work for her in the best way possible. And so, uh, you know, she's passed on or uh, using things like that, I think, can be helpful. A way, and again, in a way that's simple, concise, but also accurate. So it's not the notion of, well, when is she going to wake up? When is she going to come play with me again? Because um, that looks different, too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Katie, there's some no, don't miss um, comments that may not come up, such as um, 
um, feeling blame. You know, I had a mm. you know I had a bad thought about her, and now she has cancer. Thing. Yeah. Do you bring up things to kids that this is not your fault? Uh, sort of act proactively or do you think that that's just sure I think that can be great to be talking about like is cancer contagious and I think sometimes for young ones even there's books and resources that talk about that for young kids it's especially helpful to go to but I think to dispel some of those myths you know was it because I didn't go to her house yesterday is that why something happened right. um, you know again it's nothing that you did it's not your fault right. people get sick and unfortunately people people get sick accidents happen that are shocking and tremendously frustrating and sad and um and that's good to be talking about yeah is it healthy to give them bits and pieces along the way when you're diagnosed with something or is it better to tell them up front i as well so when you get diagnosed i think with illnesses like that sometimes information does come along the way and so i think that can helpfully share we're up front initially i think sometimes we don't have all the information and i um, if your kid says well is grandma going to die because she has cancer the answer might be i don't know you know we certainly hope she doesn't that's why she's in the hospital that's why she's getting the medicine that she is and going so frequently but as things change i think that's a sign of having that ongoing conversation with your child and not necessarily keeping information from them but sharing with them what's appropriate as situations change as information changes it's hard yeah yeah Yeah, it's never I don't think it's ever an easy conversation no and I think because we're attached to it too like it's not something that's just happening to our child it's our mom it's our family member or friend that is going through it as well and so we have our own grief and coping reactions that are attached to it and sometimes if you're not in a good place to be talking about it with your child meaning it might be too emotional or it's just too difficult that's a cue that maybe it's not the time to have that conversation or to be there while somebody else is having that conversation with your child because I think kids do look to us for signs and how they should react and so if it's tough for us to be in that place of of sharing information in a way that we're coping with it then it might be okay to hold off on doing that for a little bit yeah because it really does affect the whole family with yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think your notion is, too, you don't want them hearing secondhand. So from a cousin or um, from somebody else where you want it coming from a reliable source and things that way. So Another thing I was curious about, too, I think addictions, just in general, you hear so many people with that have addictions and whatnot that happen over time. And what do you worry about with your children and what are some of the warning signs that as parents we should look out for if there is some kind of potential problem down the line Mm -hmm. when our kids get older? Yeah. And certainly thinking about if there's ever a family history there, you might be especially um, sensitive or have that on your radar for different behaviors. Um, I think for addiction, so there can be things like starting to lie, starting to steal. Those are all concerning behaviors. Um, If your child is also selling belongings in order to get money or you notice things from around your house are missing, that can be cues. Um, I think changes in mood, things like they just don't seem like themselves. They're not as interested in school. They're not as interested in the friend group that they used to be really closely attached to or they've developed a different friend group that doesn't seem like them. Um, I think that can be some signs. But changes in mood, um, social group, also academics, both seeing that their grades maybe decline. They don't want to attend school. It seems like their eating, sleeping patterns have changed. I think those are all good things to be looking out for. Yeah. 
It's very hard when you get especially to adolescent age to say, well, is my child just being a teenager and they're withdrawn and not even addiction, but just uh, the depression, anxiety, like some other mental issues that might start coming up at that time because their brain is changing like crazy. There's all types of chemical hormones, whatever going on. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say, okay, are they just going, be, are they just being a teenager? They don't want to hang out with me as much anymore. You know, their interests are changing. Or is it something like a serious, more serious illness, like a bipolar or depression or mm-hmm. something else that might be arising at that time? Because so it all happens at the same time. Yeah. And it can be very confusing, I think, um, for a parent to know the difference of what's going on. I think sometimes what we see, especially with those mental health disorders, is that they do last a bit longer. So as opposed to situations where we all get anxious, we all get sad, we all might be withdrawn from time to time. Um, But if those symptoms and feelings are going on for weeks or even months, that might speak to something different, exactly like you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as we, there's some parallels between changes in mood as well as addiction, whereas I think of um, being depressed, sometimes it is that withdrawn, down, feeling lonely. But for young kids and adolescents as well, it's being more irritable. And I think we don't always think of that, where if you're fighting back at me, that's probably a sign that you're just angry with me as opposed to feeling depressed. But um, but that irritability or that sadness can look different ways depending on how old your child is. Um, I think changes as well in terms of if they're sleeping more, that can be concerning, mm-hmm. seeing changes in energy level, um, that they're just not doing the things that they wish they were doing. Also, you might notice in conversations that they just seem more negative. Um, so whereas it used to be, oh, I'm really good at math or I can do, um, I can write papers pretty well. Now it's, I'm just not as good as anybody. And okay. this is much harder for me. So you hear more of that negative thinking style, negative talking about themselves in more of a global or pervasive sense can mm-hmm. also be something to be thinking about. Anything we can do as parents to kind of stave off that? like, Or, or is this just too Pollyanna to say that we can prevent that from No, happening? no, no, no. So I think it's great, one, to be aware of symptoms and talking about things where it is important, I even think, for young ones to be raising their emotional vocabulary and having that emotional awareness. Um, a lot of things that I talk about is, again, I don't know anyone that doesn't get sad from time to time. I don't know anybody that doesn't worry about things. And so if you see those changes, those are completely normal. Whereas I think we worry about those people that don't get sad. It's like, oh, I don't know what's on there. Uh, so, or maybe I wish I did. Um, so, um, yeah. um, so those can be good things to be talking about. For young kids, it can be like, you seem sad. What do you like to do to feel better? What can we do to feel better? That also looks somewhat similar for adolescents, encouraging healthy eating, healthy sleeping habits, and doing things that they enjoy. Um, a fancy term for calling that is behavior activation. Sometimes when we're down, we just don't feel like doing the things that we used to. And so encouraging activities, healthy connections, healthy behaviors are all good things for parents to be doing. I have a girlfriend of mine, it's similar when we're talking about behavior, um, that a girlfriend of mine, um, when I told her I was doing this, um, I kind of gave it to all my friends. And um, she, her son was just diagnosed last week um, with ADHD and executive function deficit. <laughs> and, you know, she's not concerned about how the school's handling it. She's She and her husband are really confident about that. Um, she's more concerned about how her and her husband can um, build him up to be successful. So what can her and her husband be doing at home to really help support her son? Yeah. What's the general age He's range six. there? He's, He's six. six. Um, so one thing that's great, it sounds like they're connected to school. Mm-hmm. What I would encourage, or sometimes we see good effects, is what's being done at school, if that can look similarly at home. Okay. 
So let's say, for example, um, they have an agenda, good to be having agendas. I think teaching kids in an early age that we need to write things down so that we can cross them off um, as well. So then we get home and we see that might be choreless. I think for uh, for your friends, it would be not just relying on verbal information, but we're also writing things down. We're crossing things off. So we're making those organization strategies, um, those executive functioning mm-hmm. strategies a bit more active for kids, um, teaching them not only what we want to see, but then when you've done this, this is what that looks looks like or this is how we keep track of things so a lot of things at school the question might be how do we then implement those at home where we have structure we have routine we have activities that we follow that can be great things to be doing at home to help with organization Um, when we talk about executive functioning that's thinking about thinking um, and planning and organizing activities so at home, the question might be, you know, if, if he needs to do something or if the question is, I need to, I don't know, pick up my toys. Okay, where do we do that? Where are you going to start with that? What do you need in order to make that helpful? And it's not just, oh, this looks pretty organized, or I'm going to put them under mm-hmm. the tables. Let's go find the basket. Let's put them in here and do this. So kind of making that overt processing for them and helping with those organizational structures, I think, is great for your friends to be thinking about. Super, super. Thanks. Good things. Yeah. Good things for all kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe especially say, harder yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For her. Yeah. yeah. And so knowing that, so it might take some additional practice and support for a bit longer. No, and she's a wonderful mother. They're, they're great parents. So that's it's, great. you know, she's really involved. Yeah, so being involved in school yep. is a big support. Mm-hmm. And um, and having 504 plans and accommodations that way, sometimes even if kids don't need it or if their skills improve, hopefully it grows with him over time to help him be successful. So that's great. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay, so this one's like a little Band-Aid. And it's not the most comfortable topic, but... It's something that a lot of my mom friends and I are sort of talking about because our kids are getting of this age. And how do we talk to our kids appropriately and comfortably with between puberty and sex? Yeah. It's like great stuff. Like, <laughs> super fun for everybody. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've been caught off guard a couple of times and completely tongue tied. And I mean, I'm even nervous even asking the question. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, I mean, what is really the best way to talk to them? Because I honestly, I, I feel that the information we start giving them from an early age, it can, it can have longer term effects. And you obviously want to do it right. And I know they're already starting to hear things at school, mm-hmm. which well, that was in itself a little bit of a process for me. So, I mean, what do you do? Yeah, I think the great thing that you're thinking about is talking about those things before they happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if ever possible to like stay ahead of that ball that is rolling as opposed to like trying to catch up with it, I think is good. Because um, uh, boys mature differently than girls and sometimes earlier. And as you're saying, it seems to just be getting earlier and earlier that we're talking about things um, that we thought maybe we had a couple more years for that we could hold off for a little bit longer. So I think that's another one. So as I think about all the questions that you have, these are the ones where it's like, you're going to have to start that conversation. And it might be, you know, I heard kids at your school talking about how this is happening. Are you starting to think about that? Is that something that you've noticed? I think especially normalizing what's happening Mm -hmm. when that 
that's mm-hmm. appropriate. So you're going to go through it. All of your friends are going to go through it. So lucky you. This is if you're not going through it right now, then this is what you have to look forward to. And I think sharing as much accurate information as possible. So for boys, it might be the case that your voice is going to change and this is going to happen. For girls, this is kind of what to be on the lookout for. And even if feeling like we don't need to be super specific or I don't want to go into all the details, it might be if you notice if you notice changes happening in your body and if you're wondering if that's appropriate or if that's normal, please ask me. We can talk about it because it is another one that's an ongoing conversation and is going to be different between boys and girls and depending on age, um, but a good thing to be thinking about and having so that they're coming to you when those changes happen and um, talking about it. I mean, so far I've, with my oldest, I've been letting her, she'll have questions and she'll come to me and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it. And I kind of give her the information that she needs. I mm-hmm. don't want to give her too much. Yep. I don't want to give her too little. Yep. Just right. Yep. Um, Three Goldilocks, like, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Because I think you give too much and it's, I don't want this to happen to me. This yeah. sounds really awful. And it's like, well. As it's coming out of your mouth, you're like, what am I saying? Really make it stop. <laughs> and your face, I can imagine, right? Your face probably is like, you know, you can't, I can't, I don't even want to know. Yeah. Yeah. I got to farm that one out. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Like, and sometimes, I mean, and so the, as you talk about farming things out, sometimes that does happen too, where if you feel like, I don't know if I'm the best one to have it. Is there a physician that your child is close to or a family member that could also be helpful? And maybe if it's not having that conversation for you, but also supporting it in terms of, yeah, this is a time in your life when things are just going to be different and, and your body's changing. And No, I feel you have to really buckle through it because Good for you. Yeah. Well, look, it's a fact of life. Yep. And you want them, especially because I know I'm going to have some really hard years ahead and I'm just, I'm just starting. Yeah. So I would want. So it's want not a talk to, then, it's a conversation. The open lines <laughs> of communication because that can make or break a lot. Yeah. Oh, no, you're right. And I think if anything, it's, um, you know, we don't need to have, we're not going to talk about this every Thursday, so don't be worried about that. (laughs) And Um, I have one that probably could. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, if it does feel awkward, you could recognize that, too, and be like, with your boys or whoever, be like, I know this is exactly what we want to be talking about. And, you know, kind of make it funny to lighten the situation. But you are being a resource to them, which is wonderful. And I think especially if the question is, well, I don't know the answer to that. Let me find it out. I'll get back to you. Or I think that's important for parents to do as well where um where that follow I'll, I'll be honest with you so my my eight-year-old I, I sometimes wonder what because he is a boy and that is a total different uncomfortable situation yeah. as well but m- my question is when do you know that they're really mature and ready for that yeah it's and th- that's tricky because you don't want to say um, I don't know what you want to say. You're going to get zits on your chest and they start to re- laugh and react. And right. It's like, okay, That's maybe the dilemma. This <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my son, he's so much fun and he's got this great energy, but he, I mean, he just, he loves to joke around. And mm-hmm. I'm, I, it's one of those conversations I would need him to kind of take it seriously. Yes. Yeah. And know that I'm serious, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say because I think developmentally, it's not like at age nine, you need to start talking about this. And then when they get to be 15, start talking about safe sex and what that looks like Um, because it's mortifying, right? Um, (laughs) But I think as early as you know, if it is the case that school lets you know, hey, in health class this year, we're going to be talking about puberty and what that looks like, it could be helpful to be saying, you know, at home, I know this is a conversation at school. If you ever don't want to ask these questions to your teacher or in front of your classmates, 
we can talk about it at home or my my fifth grader came off the bus and was like guess what mom guess what we're gonna learn i'm not even kidding just a week ago and i i i said i i know we're gonna have some conversations yeah there you go you know, nothing like getting hit like that off the bus. Can they write a, le- um, a note? One of my girlfriends has a 12-year-old, and the question, it's a boy, and um, he wrote, like, the questions and slipped it under their bedroom door, mm, yeah. like, late at it's night. It's a great way so to then, do it. Yep. Like either her or her husband like responded. Almost like having a diary, kind of like I'll write back right. the answers and on the back. We the, never the, have to look at each other. The benefit, when we're doing right? It. <laughs> so the parents don't be like, oh my god, you yeah. know. So I you, have heard that too. Like so, like a journal or a diary. Yeah. Like it might be. So the good part is there. They're figuring out how to communicate around this topic. Now, if that stretches to all aspects of your life where we're using index cards to communicate, <laughs> that is concerning. Um, <laughs> but there are. But we do text. I mean, it's like that would be ideal. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. everyone texts yeah. everything. Right? People break up over texts and. Yeah, yeah, no, but it could be a nice way no. to get that communication and at least then you're getting questions from them and they're hearing you that we want to talk about this and they're also coming to you, um, albeit in their own way, but I know some folks too that like gradually placed books about puberty on like their child's bedside and was like, <laughs> 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 and I was like, it did they ever years, read it? Like, yeah. Could you ever no. tell if it was open? And it's not, <laughs> what they did was I thought for the longest time, longer than I'm going to confess here, that pubic hair was called public hair because I speed read it and I didn't understand it a long time. So yeah, but that was, we never discussed it. She said, do you have any questions? I said, no. She said, great. And took it back to the library. So yeah, not good. Okay. Well, we're going to have to start wrapping this up because it's going to (laughs) be fun. (laughs) But we do have all sorts of neat tips. We'll have to have the uh, pediatric chat tip list. Uh, I love the um, red yellow card soccer thing that you brought up, which is way I interpreted the the timeout card for when kids get a little older. I love that idea. Oh, job and, card. Yeah, it's a yes. good one. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to start instituting that around a Nemours for, uh, for, for providers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, but but this has been great. Thanks so much, Katie. For, yeah, great for, questions. For, for really good things to be thinking we'll about. Have, Thank you so We'll have much. to have you back. It's my take home is always is that, you know, there's so much in psychology that interacts with everything we do from, from, you know, things that we're used to, the ADHD questions, but also medical illness. And that's why we embed them in our, our pediatric practices, because belly pain may be organic or it may be, you know, stress or maybe lots of other things. And so we know how important you guys are for us. And we have a lot of you because of that. I think everybody needs to have one of you guys around our houses. Yeah. We need one too. So thanks so much for joining us, Paul. Thanks, Katie. I think we can go on for another few hours, but we'll cut it off here and have you back next time. Oh, Thank good. You. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you me. so Thank much. You so much. To our listeners, if you have a question about this topic, or if there's another topic you'd like us to explore in a future pediatric chat, you can send it to us by using the question portal on our webpage. And be sure to view our library for more pediatric chat programs. I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan, and thanks for listening.